Hey, this is Glow With The Flow podcast. I'm Hip Hop Heels Kiz. I've got a very special guest and his name is... Trust. Trust. Uh, what's your background for our listeners, please? Probably best known for making jungle music, drum and bass. Um, but I started out kind of... Uh, in the kind of Bristol sound, Bristol movement back in the 80s. Um, you know, I was a kid, 14 years old, and I watched this film called Wild Star, and that was kind of my introduction to the, um, you know, American hip-hop culture. Um, <clears throat> when I saw that film, it completely changed my life. I was a mod before then, a little two-tone mod. Um, but when I saw that film, it completely, you know, and utterly kind of radically shifted my whole belief system about, you know, what, what was possible for a black kid growing up in, you know, a council estate in Bristol. There was no role models around. There was no, nothing on TV. There was nothing, you know what I mean? And when I saw this documentary, it kind of just blew my mind. It's like, well, you can actually do that, can you? You know what I mean? You, you can break dance, can you? You can hold big parties like that, can you? You, you know, and it's and it was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. You know, so me and my brothers, we um, we formed the crew the next day. We called it Fresh Four. We just started doing parties. Started first of all, we we uh, got the school to give us a room. We did that for a year. The next year, I left school. We we found a youth club. We got convinced them to give us a room. And then eventually, when I was about 17, 18, we found a squat in Bristol. And we, we started to go there and put our sound system in there, our records in there. And then about a year after that, my brother made a track with Smith and Mighty, um, a remake of Wishing on a Star by Rolls Royce. Um, and that just took off. It, we got signed to the majors. It went to top 10. And, you know, that's kind of my introduction to the music world as such, you know. We were in London for about six to eight months, sort of trying to sort of make a record. Didn't really know what we were doing. We were quite young. But I walked into a recording studio and I just saw, literally, I saw the lights. You know, I saw this big room, I saw big speakers, and it was like, yeah, that's me. I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, pretty much. And it was like, I just knew it, you know. And so after the experience with the record company, we got dropped about eight months later um, and coming back to Bristol, really, it was just about regrouping and starting again. My brother had a sampler, my oldest brother had a sampler, wrote a, um, a Casio FZ1, really old, big, huge keyboard, 14 seconds sample time on it. Um, but it was something that, you know, I, I learned, I just got him to, but I bugged him for three years. I said, look, show me how the thing worked. And I slept on his floor. And I just bugged him every day. I said, show me at work, show me at work, show me at work. And he did. And, and eventually I figured it out. I learned it. Then I learned Cubase. And then started to go to these free raves. And free raves were starting to happen out, out, out in like, you know, Stroud, Enstone Airfield, Letchley, Castle Morton. You know, that era was happening. So I was starting to go there with Die and Sav. 
Smith and Mighty used to take us. Um, and just started to hear this music, you know what I mean? It's techno-y, ravey, kind of jungle techno thing, what they were calling it. <clears throat> and it was exciting, it was different, it was new. You know, I was in a studio, I was experimenting. So my background at that time would have been like electronic music, pop music, um, and, and, and breaks in the sense that, you know, we were scratch DJs. So we'd be, we'd be cutting up two copies of the same, same record. <clears throat> so that's how I got my knowledge of beats and breaks. So by the time I started to make Jungle, we had the record collection already there. So we were just sampling all the breaks and putting them straight into the sampler and just messing around. When we were going to these raves, we were hearing these, these same breaks that we were cutting out, but in these, in these jungle tunes. <laughs> uh, uh, like 170, we're like, wow, they, turn, they sped them up to like 160, one, you know, 165 and shit. And we were like, whoa. And then we started just experimenting, do you know what I mean? We were like coming back, pushing our buttons, experimenting. And then one day I remember we just, we were making like the four to the floor, we had the breaks in it and had the jungly sound and bass, basses that we were doing. But then it was like, we, we one day we came into the studio and and the, the, the mute on the kick drum had been pressed in accidentally. And we played the track and it was just these breaks and this bass line and it was like, what the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. And like, and then, and it was like, that's the sound. Do you know what I mean? We, we that was the sound. And, and from then onwards, we started to just experiment making what everybody now calls jungle. So going back to the film Wild Style, what age were you when you saw it? 14. And what was it about the film that really grabbed you in that way? Because from what the story that you've just told, it was a pivotal shift in your relationship with the world and with what you were, yeah. what you were doing as a young person. So what, what was it about the film that in, intrigued you? Can you tell the listeners what the film's about? And a little so bit the, about- the, the, film, the film is about American hip hop culture. So it, it, it's a documentary style film and it, and it follows a graffiti artist that is trying to sort of, you know, establish himself in the world. But on the way, he, got, he, he you know, Grandmaster Flash is in it doing scratching and stuff. And then you have, um, you know, various rap groups and rap battles and these big auditoriums and then there's break dancers. And, you know, so this, you have this graffiti culture, you have these break dancers, you have the whole b-boy ethics that come into play there, you know, the 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 culture of, of hip hop and what it embodies and what it means, you know what I'm saying? And so there's an ethos around it. And so where I grew up, it was predominantly white, it's predominantly, not predominantly, but there was a considerable amount of racism. There was no, you know, uh, positive black role models on TV or anything like that. So immediately when I saw the program, I just saw these black kids, but it was multicultural, but predominantly black, but they were like, you know, holding these big parties. They were break dancing, they were spray painting. They were, it, it just looked like they had created something from nothing and had been able to establish themselves and they'd been able to you know, get some self-respect. They'd be able to have significance. And that was something that I wasn't seeing of where I was, you know? And it was like, the people that looked like me were 
we're, we're, we're a problem in the news. Do you know what I mean? You know, you were over a term that, you know, and it was just hard work. It was a, it was a, it was a hard, it was a hard life. That means looking at being, being seen as that, and then always re being reminded of that. But when I saw what these people were doing, it was high art. It was excellence from the highest degree. And it was like, wow, that's, that's another option then. Because before then, the other options were like building, bricklaying, nothing wrong with any of those roles. But I was, an, I was into art from a very young age, but I didn't know where I was going to be able to apply it. But I knew that I had some artistic flair. I liked painting. I liked drawing. I liked, you know, physical activities. I was not academic. And, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for that film, probably I would have just you know, admitted or submitted to the, 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 you know, the basic desires of like, just going to get a job and being, uh, you know, not really amounting to much, you know what I mean? But I think what that film showed me was that you could aspire to a higher level and you could achieve it. And I think that's what drove me. It was like, wow, I could actually do that, you know? And, I, and it was, and I could see proof of people doing it. You know, and they weren't doing it for money. There was no, there was not like the bling you see today. There was none of that. It was gritty. It was grimy. It was burnt down buildings. It was squats. It was like, there was nothing nice about it, but it was the culture of these people being able to express themselves. It's beautiful, you know, pieces of art on trains. You know what I mean? And we, I'd never seen that before. And I was watching this film and you see this train go past and, all this art on it, it's like, what, what's going on? And then you see these guys break dancing and you knew they had to be physically fit, you know, all the training that you had to do and exercise every day, you know, and they were spinning around doing all these flips and bounces and jumps. And I was like, wow, you could do that. That's amazing. And then you see the Grandmaster Flash scratching on the decks and you're like, what? What's, it was like, what's going on? It was, and the thing about it was, the thing about being a mod is that mods didn't do anything. <laughs> right on, they drive mopeds come on they just look cool right mods look cool they just dress well they look cool but that was it right but when i saw this film it was the complete package do you know what i mean it was lifestyle it was just all there you know and you know the the deeper meaning the deeper sort of ideology and philosophy that I got from it as well was like the blueprint that I use on all my projects as well because if you look at all what they did there it's you know being a b-boy is about being original about authenticity it's about respect you know building culture the way they did it's about it's a business model right there's a philosophy and there's an ideology around it and there's certain structures and pillars that when you think about creating a business or a startup, that is how you do it. You know what I'm saying? It's the same ethos. It's the same sort of way to think about it. And I've used that model many, many times in Fresh Four, in Full Cycle, in my CBD company and in my coaching brand. It's like I do the same thing all the time. And it's the idea of creating something from nothing, you know, and it, and you, and it shows you how to do it. You build community. You find like-minded people. You know, you create something new that other people aren't capable of creating, you know, and then you see that idea out into the world and then you create enormous value around it, enormous, um, you know, hype and, you know, uh, not secrecy, but, you know, you, you create uh, a sort of marketing value chain around it and eventually people are attracted to it because it's new, it's exciting, it's different. And then you can monetize it. And that's exactly what has been, you can see that's the 
that's how it kind of that's how ideas start and when they when they when an idea comes from the grassroots if you fund it too quick it dies out because it hasn't had time to really be what it's going to be and that's what you see with a lot of british um cultures that have been exposed to finance too quick they die out because all of a sudden it's about money and not about high art and if you look at what hip-hop's been allowed to do over the years it's just high art and it's been allowed to keep um building 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 from that aspect because because it's not just about the music it's about the culture it's about the language it's about the the dress sense now do you know what i'm saying it's about the ideas there's a there's an um andrew horowitz i think it is or um and he's a he's an investor he's always referencing hip-hop this guy's one of the biggest investors in the world he's investing you know, uh, Facebook and, and things like that. But he's, he, he loves the hip hop community, you know what I'm saying? So he, he's extrapolated the, the philosophy from that to, to when he's thinking about these things. Same thing with Gary Vaynerchuk. That's what uh, I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah, he's Gary. always talking about hip hop and yeah. the influence of hip hop. And so we've seen now how it's penetrated culture. It's the number one culture in the world, right? We've seen how it's penetrated you know, all cultures around the world with this deep idea. And that could only happen if the values that it's built on are solid, those principles are solid. Because when you when you build on those solid foundations, if it didn't work, it would have crumbled years ago. But because it's got such deep roots, deep values, deep spiritual meanings and the philosophy behind it, that's actually rooted in the, all the, the, the pillars that have created anything long lasting, Look at it, it's 30 years strong. You know, one of the biggest uh, industries coming out of America, definitely one of the biggest things that's influenced us in this in the UK. And it's it's you know, when we started making jungle, we were definitely influenced by American hip hop, but more so in the sense because it was an experimental form of music that they were able to make their own. We wanted the same thing, you know. I, I tried to make hip hop but it just didn't come out like hip hop. It was coming out all different and weird and stuff. Everyone was like, no, that's not hip hop crust. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course it is. And they're like, no, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not. And then eventually we, as we, we worked our thing into jungle, what it was, years later, they're like, yeah, that's British hip hop. Do you know what I mean? They're like, that's the British version of, of what the Americans are doing. Cause it was our music. We had, we'd finally figured out how to make an original sound that sounded you know, and represented the streets and represented the youth and represented the time and the spirit of what was going on around then. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about representing the British youth and the sound coming out quite different and, and you know, not quite fitting right and clunky and your friends saying that's not hip hop. When I work with therapeutic hip hop, which means tapping into the healing potential and the possibilities and opportunities that hip-hop presents for people to reshape their identity to mm. talk about past hurts to overcome challenge to work from a place of authenticity and express themselves i often come across people saying to me well what's what what is therapeutic about hip-hop isn't it just about gang banging and misogyny and a lot of people that you know, you and I are hip hop fans and we've been brought up with the culture and we've listened to it. So if you're a complete stranger and you're looking at creating 
a program in your prison you're looking at working with some school kids and you're thinking oh there's graffiti all over the toilets we don't want to do a graffiti project because the kids are going to do even more graffiti we don't want to teach them how and oh we want to improve literacy in the school but these kids are cussing and swearing and saying bad stuff in the grime lyrics so we don't want to encourage them to say more about that Mm. so I'm I'm getting a lot of people asking me during this podcast or from different circles that I'm moving in well oh how does that work then because isn't it violent and whatever so thank you for explaining because I think it's pretty clear that there's another side that we're not hearing about and I want to want to ask you why is that do you think that the general public think that there is only the one side you've got the media and society and and a culture that is invested in you know um keeping their society going and they're threatened by anything that they can't control hip-hop the people that created hip-hop were the rejects the people that didn't fit into society and society thought well you lot go and fend for yourself same thing over here the people that start these dubstep that start trip hop that start jungle like they're the ones who can't fit into society right there's not a place for them there when i was 11 years old i got taken out of class and i got you know it was like a shaming really when I think about it because they said I had reading, learning disabilities and I had to go to a special class. And so they marched me out of the class and, and, and I went to this special class and I went there and that was me for the next year or two in this sort of remedial class. And I had a lot of problem with that for years, right? And until one day I really thought about it and I thought, what actually happened then? And what I, the conclusion that I came to was their system didn't work on me. I rejected it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Right, I rejected their system. And because I rejected their system, I was, I was a potential problem for the rest of the class. So I needed to get out of there because they, everybody else was gonna accept it. It's easy for them to accept. They were gonna listen and take in this program and just do what they're told. Whereas I was like, I don't get what you're saying. I don't get what that means. Why are you teaching that? Like, what's that mean? What's the, and I was asking too many questions and I'd be sitting there thinking that doesn't, just something doesn't make sense. I'm 11 years old and I could already tell something doesn't smell right. I don't know what it was. So years later, I get it. It's like, you try and teach people, you try and teach everybody left brain knowledge. It's like, it doesn't work. Right? It just doesn't work. And so when your culture is a dominant, predominant left brain culture that doesn't, doesn't um, respect the arts, the creativities, you know, if you don't have a high EQ and something wrong with you, it's like, hold on a minute, but you're only measuring a certain type of IQ, right? It's like, there's many more, do you know what I mean? You've got to look at great artists, great people who use art, creativity, who function on a whole nother spectrum that you're just not recognizing. It just so happens that you're the predominant and the purveyors of your culture. So you're the ones who settle the rules and the laws and blah, blah, blah. And so anything that doesn't fit in with your ideology is wrong. And that's the culture we are in today. And we're breaking out of with people like yourself and myself who are strong in our convictions. And we've been able to build something from nothing 
that is a threat to society because they're saying the only way you can build is with our system. And we're like, well, your system doesn't work for us. What are we supposed to do? And they're saying, well, we don't care. You just don't want you in our system. And like, fine, that's okay. We'll, we'll accept that, but we're gonna build our own system. And then when we do, that's when the negativity gets poured on us because they don't want you to build your own system because all of a sudden that puts a threat to their system. They, they think, well, our system can't be, can't be working because yeah. they're, they're successful without our system. And how can Jay-Z, black guy who's selling drugs in a, in a, in a stairwell, be one of the richest guys without that system? And how, and how can hip hop from from these these guys who, who we've who we haven't educated? Yeah, yeah. Right? Educated. How can they, right? How can they be in how can they be the number one culture in the world? How is this possible? We don't understand it. We've tried for years to hold you down, to de-educate you, to segregate you, to disrespect you and your women. We've continually bombarded you with negativity, self-hate. We even, we, even, we even tell you to celebrate one month a year of, and remind you of you were a slave. We keep doing it to you, but for some reason, you keep coming back stronger. <laughs> and uniting, so that, and yeah. uniting with people yeah. that are very different. And, and to them, they're stuck. They cannot understand that. So for them, it's easy. Let's just destroy it. We destroyed Marcus Garvey. Let's just take him down. We destroyed Haiti. Let's just take him down. You know, let's, let's just give them so much debt that they can't, that all they can think about is getting out of debt and not prospering. Let's just take them down. And so that's their way of dealing with it. Take, just take them down, just destroy it and destroy it. And so, of course, it doesn't make sense to them how people like us can still prosper, can keep coming back can, and coming back stronger with new ideas, new innovations, new tools, new ways to think, you know, new language patterns. It's right. So, they don't understand that we draw directly from the source. That's our source of inspiration. We're, we're visualizing and meditating directly from the source. We, we have an infinite supply of this, right? Their thing's not infinite. Their thing is limited to rape, rape and pillage off of other cultures. And that's why they want to just keep destroying because their thing works by just going to the next one, going to the next one, going to the next one. And that's why when you think about it, look at all the all the um, indigenous people who just keep coming up with new stuff. Where do they get it from? Right? Even after colonialism, when all of these, all these people were supposed to have been, you know, worse off, India came back, Africa come back, China came back, right? It's like, they just keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming. It's like, so of course, if they, if they can't control it, they want to destroy it. Yeah, definitely. And I think, in the therapy world, what I'm seeing is, uh, um, you know, there's, there's many, many interventions that have been designed to support and, um, you know, negate against things like the youth suicide rate, the male suicide rate. And, you know, lots of interventions have been tried and tested. But I read a statistic around the children and adults mental health service success rate of interventions. And, and it was lower than 50%. So I'm thinking, okay, in recent research I read as part of my thesis on hip hop therapy and its healing potential, it, I think it was 70 or 75% of all the young people who were referred to the Children and Adults Mental Health Service called CALMS in this country. Mm -hmm. um, that's from social workers. 
So there could be kids in care who've been removed their families. That's from teachers at school. That's from psychologists, doctors. 70% were turned away. So if 70% were turned away because the services are overstretched, and this was, I think, about three or four years ago, then in that 30% that actually received the treatment, that means only half of them actually received a therapeutic intervention that worked for them. So what are we defining as worked for them? Some of the research I've read in sociology, in psychology, talks about control groups, talks about um, test groups, people having these different interventions, and they're treated as people with problems, machines to be fixed. And yeah. the data that goes to the NHS to determine whether a therapeutic approach will be rolled out at scale is about numbers, logic, and repeatability. Now, if you take somebody seen their parents murdered, somebody who's been abused as a child, somebody who's experienced rape, there's no number about your impact on them that you could measure, right? You can say, yeah, okay, maybe I have less nightmares, maybe I have less incidents of flashbacks, maybe I have less medication dependence. But the human to human connection is what creates the biggest therapeutic impact. It doesn't matter what model you use, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or whether it's an arts based therapy, it's you, the person who is facilitating the support and holding a safe space for them. Now, if you come from a culture that understands the person you're with's culture, and that could be from the way you look, it could be the way, like your skin color, could be the fact that you're using a music genre like hip hop. It's that human relationship that counts, isn't it? So I, I'm wondering now, you know, you get schools, you get statistics, like, you know, so-and-so number of children are not getting any creative uh, element in their studies. The figures for arts, GCSE, A-level, creative writing, A-level, they've all just dropped off. Schools aren't putting time and investment in that. So you've got little cattle going round at the sound of a bell to different classrooms pre-COVID and then working on maths. English, science, things that are valued as core subjects. Whereas, you know, we know that to create a fully rounded individual who's able to cope in the modern world and creatively think and have innovative solutions to problems and be critical, you need to expose them to different types of things, not just sitting at a desk and looking at book work. Now we've got the COVID situation, kids are going to schools in their bubbles, they're not allowed to touch handouts with the teacher. The teacher's not marking the books after, I think it's three days is the protocol. I'm a secondary school teacher by trade. I you know, was working up until very recently as a supply teacher and I still get safety guidance from my supply teaching agencies. And if I were to go into school, I couldn't touch a primary school student's book until three days later. So they're not getting the instant feedback. You won't be able to do group work and place you know words and sentences together on a shared whiteboard like I used to do so what what do you think we need now with the times that we're in, in to negate that kind of hollowness in the school curriculum do you have we have a systemic problem on the planet period I mean 
education is one arm of it. Finance is another arm of it. Medicine, um, uh, language, uh, an economy. We have a we have a problem that cannot be fixed by by trying to plug ho holes in the system that we already got. It doesn't work. You know, Buckminster Fuller said, if you want to change the system, you've got to create a better one. And that's where we are. And at the moment, it doesn't matter what political party gets in, all they're doing is just getting inside the same car that the last people were driving. Yeah. The model's still the same. The engine's still the same. The fuel they put in still the same. The people who clean it are still the same. You know, it's like, it hasn't changed. It won't change. And so what needs to happen is a fundamental shift in, in how, we, how people manage themselves. You know, we've, we've, we have given, we've, you know, mistakenly given the politicians too much work to do. We've just given government too much work to do. Like we want to, you know, we want to blame somebody. We should be blaming ourselves for not getting up sooner and, and taking power. And I don't mean take it forcefully. I just mean like, do we really need government? Like, you know, it's like, Everyone's asking all these questions, but no one's really asking the right questions, I don't think. It's like, what's the use of a government in, in the future? Like, what do we need governments for? Like, let's have that conversation because up until then, they're just saying, is it Labour? Is it Conservative? It's like, is it actual politics? Yeah, yeah. Is it actual politics? Government? It's like, what's the, what's the purpose of these function, these, these, what's the function of these systems? And so- what happens? Sorry, go on. Because what everyone wants to do is they just want to change out certain aspects of it where the overarching system is still the same. It's still governed by the banks. It's still about finance, you know, and the education system is, is, is in play because they need people to, to manage and work in their system. They don't need people to be critical thinkers because you don't need to be critical a thinker to work in a factory to push a button. You don't need to be skilled that the where we're going now is that we're going to have a huge um skills gap because everybody is still being trained and this is why this is why you know we're, we live in an asylum everybody's still being trained to operate in a system that's no longer here what i mean by that is the education system that we've got was designed for the industrial revolution we're now in the knowledge economy it's the digital revolution now it's a different mindset Fact, look, Elon Musk's got a factory with one guy and a dog in it. And the dog is there to stop the guy from touching the machines, right? It's all automated. That's the, this is the future. So why are we teaching people an old mindset? In school, if you use a computer, you're, you're cheating. In the real world, it's the necessity to use Google. Right? It's a necessity. That's how we get jobs done. How are we not? How is the school environment not reflecting the reality that you are going into when you leave? Why are we teaching them all this ineffective stuff? And then when you, when employers are complaining because they're not able to retrain staff, because they're not being they're not being told taught what to actually do when they get to these jobs. Now there is a there is another problem. The future is happening too quick. We're not prepared for it. Technology's moving so fast. We're having so many advancements. We cannot keep up. 
businesses now are having to change business models every six months because the, the reality of the world is that it's changing that fast. So how are we supposed to train people for a world that's moving at that pace? Right? The teachers aren't prepared for it. There's a there's a new reality. What's what we have a pandemic in social media. That's a serious problem. What are they teaching people in school now about that? Hardly anything. What would be where's the prevention measures in in anywhere for that? And that's a pandemic that's on the rise right now. So there's gaping holes in all of this stuff, you know what I mean? And the 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 thing that you've got to understand is you cannot think rationally about any of it. It's not designed to make sense. And people say the system's broken. No, the system is designed to do what it's doing. It works for the top tier and it frustrates the bottom tier. That's the, that is the system. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, so what happens when we get young people um, exposed to messages in hip hop that don't fit in with the idea of you know relying on other people to give you what you need and like a lack of balance in power and agency when you hear hip-hop lyrics that are saying you can do what you want you have infinite potential inside yourself you have wisdom and agency to succeed you've got a hustle and this is how you do it you know what what happens to young people when you're exposed to those messages we we are we're splitting there is a definite split happening it's been happening for years more and more people are waking up more and more people are tuning into their gifts and their talents and they're actually now waking up and i think this whole covid thing is backfired more and more people have woken up and are questioning in the you know the way that everything's being played out and curiosity is a wonderful thing because it leads to self self-realization eventually more and more people have access to information because of the internet and there's more access to seeing other people who are like you and who have been able to overcome similar situations to 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 yourself and so what we're seeing now is 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 something new something different the powers that be they have been addicted to power for so long and they're just trying to hold on to power and so when you have a system that's built and, and a structure that's built on, on that way of thinking, it's addictive. They're, why would they want to give it up? So do you think that hip hop is a way to share or redistribute power through the knowledge element? Because there's five elements of hip hop for people that are not familiar with it. So we've got the DJing element, you've got the breaking, which is what is form like known as breakdancing and then the graffiti element and then the MC lyricism. But within that, across all four is the fundamental foundation of knowledge and it's knowledge of self. Yeah. So this is where I'm coming in with the therapeutic aspects. When you understand yourself, mm. you know, you can create your own barriers. You can create your biggest blockages. You can be yeah. the biggest determinant of your success or failure by the way that you act and your ability to conquer your fears. And then once you step out of your own fears and you've embraced the discomfort that lies outside of your comfort zone, then you can start exploring the avenues that might be available to you. But then mm. I get the feeling that the way, we're, the way we've been going for so long is that we're taught to stay in our box and not 
venture out because yeah. we have a place in the cogs and if we don't stay to our place and believe okay those are the people over there we don't want them coming over here and taking our resources or all oh, those people are scary or if we do this it goes against god or goes against our country or goes against you know the culture that we live in yeah. once people start changing operating outside of those social norms you get the opportunity to create seeds for other activities don't you so yeah. do you think hip-hop is a way to redistribute power i think people are waking up like i said and i think that if hip-hop can inspire a young person to find the talent and a skill and be able to create something for themselves that eventually leads to them making a living. And if you call that power, then yes, that's what it's doing. Mm, really good way of looking at it. So I wanna ask you about your experience of making music. One of the guests that came on recently, Dr. Elliot Gann, is a psychologist, um, a therapist and a hip hop therapist. And he's done thousands of hours of clinical work He's had loads of supervision and loads of his own therapy. And he's, you know, an expert in hip hop therapy. He does global beat ciphers around the world. He's worked around the world in disenfranchised communities in Chechnya, in Italy, with refugees and so on and so forth. And he was saying that the repetitive beats of hip hop and, you know, jungle drum and bass music are powerful in negating things like anxiety states. He's used beat making to bring people down from psychosis. Mm. So for somebody who's not familiar with hip hop or the culture and might be listening from a helping professional background, I'd like you to share maybe an experience or a challenge that you've perhaps encountered where you know your, your beat making and your music production might have created some sort of safe holding space for you. How have you experienced that? I think I think I used the studio as sanctuary. You know, I, 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 you know, I treat it like my temple. And so it's, it's a meditative space, you know, it's somewhere where I can go and relax and, and not think, you know, I, have a, <laughs> I, you know, I have a thing that I do when I'm in the studio and I'm making music and it's not thinking, it's really being able to let go and just feel I kind of just get into a different side of who I am and you know I have music at the beginning of my journey to thank for everything that I've been able to do in all my life you know music really saved my life and I, and I really break it down it's actually it's helped me go all around the world meet loads of people the education and the the way that I've been able to learn comes from the curiosity that comes from making music, the wonder and the problem solving skills that I get, you know, I use lots of ideas and philosophies from, from problem solving that you do in a studio. You know, for instance, I'll tell people from some of my talks and workshops, like, you know, if you're in a studio and you're making a beat and it, it doesn't go the way you want it to go, do you just pack up and say, oh, it's not gonna work and go home. Everybody says, no. I say, well, why do you do, why do you feel that you can't solve a problem then? It's the same thing. And so all of a sudden they're having to think, well, well, I never thought of it like that. Well, most people don't. 
And so it's about understanding like if you can solve a problem in one place, you can solve a problem in most places. It's the same thing. You don't have two minds, two brains. You have one mind, you have one brain. And so, so most people... Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I'm just really curious. So the approaches that you take to tackle your problems in the actual process of creating music can be applied to life. It just really resonates with me because I've been looking at this model around narrative therapy where you look at people's life stories and look at where the problems are, where there might be, you know, archetypal figures in their lives like the wicked witch or the helpful ally. And then you can once you start looking at who in your life is playing these roles, mm. who's shape-shifting, who has become a shadow of their previous selves, then you, you can apply that structure to lots of different life problems in work. Yeah. You can apply yeah. them in your personal relationships. You can apply them with your kids, with your boss. And then, yeah, for me, that has actually worked. And I consider hip-hop in that way. So I'm looking at, MCs who might occupy a shadow figure and be um, somebody that might be representative of the negative sides of society, mm. Ad addiction, drug abuse. So I'm talking of somebody like ODB from the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, he was addicted to crack and drugs. He was in and out of jail. Um, he was really, really charismatic and broke a lot of rules with how he managed himself, how he presented himself, how he... Um, spoke and rapped and the caricature that he was and mm. then you got people like jizza in the same group who comes across as a deep thinker he's now doing work in meditation and mild mindfulness and he's got a relaxation series so hats mm. off to him for, for the listeners maybe look look him up gza um meditation and mindfulness you'll probably find it on google so they're the complete opposites. He's got this kind of Gandalf approach right now, and he's tapping mm. into Eastern philosophy and um, spiritual concepts, talking about uh, physics, talking mm. about uh, space, talking about time, talking about maths, talking about numerology. And, you know, they're in the same crew, but they're so different. And when, when I'm working with individuals and exploring, okay, look at these different approaches we've all got these inside ourselves we just play a different role at the same time just like some of these character characters that you're seeing presented in the yeah. hip-hop and then yeah. it can't the penny just drops in a different way to if you say oh look at this shakespearean character and look at how that character's occupying that space and their reaction this reaction yeah, yeah it's not going to work for everybody so um yeah that i never thought about the beat making problem solving element in the same way well, it's it's just like using it's, it's it's yeah it's problem solving, but it's also critical analysis and really being able to you know switch your thinking and 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 start thinking. The problem with we have with most education systems, they tell you what to think and not how to think. So when you're taught how to think, you have an objection, you have objective mind. You know, um, I was coaching in some of the music colleges around England for about two three years and I'd go into them and I'd start talking to some of the teachers and I'd say why why are you doing that that, that way and they go what do you mean I goes well you're, you're saying to the students this is logic and this is how you use it that's not how we made music back in the day someone gave us this piece of equipment and they said figure it out and, and what you did with it you you'd make a sound come out of it and it was like 
the, the, the lesson is in the exploration of the thing. And if, it, if you can get a sound out of it, great. You know, it didn't have a sort of a, a set idea. And that in itself was like problem solving, thinking, being creative, you know, natural wonder, imagination, curiosity, all of these things factored in it. It's like they almost short circuit everybody by fast tracking them so they could get them through something really quickly without actually allowing these people to explore on a way deeper level. And that's kind of where we are when you think about what, what's our, what stops people from being creative? External pressures. What are some of the external pressures that people who, who don't have time to think creatively are under? Well, finance is one, poverty is another, malnutrition is another. And you say, well, you know, well, those things are normally talked about in you know, third world countries. Well, they're happening in England right now, right? It's like, these aren't third world problems anymore. This is like, this England can't really even be considered a first world when you think about it. Like the, what's actually going on, the, the literacy, the, the, it's, the list goes on. But we are actually now being able to see people, you know, change their lives with, you know, being able to think differently, being able to attack problems differently, being able to create opportunities for themselves. And these groups are now coming together and they're being able to think in a way where they can now create finance. It just so happens it's called grime music. What's the difference between, you know, the banking system and these kids who make, they both figured out how to make money. So why is one being demonized and the other not, right? And so, like we need to celebrate that. These kids have been left out because they don't think that the way that, you know, the, the system wants them to think. They don't look the way the system wants them to look, but still they've been able to use creativity in the way that they can break through the noise of the culture and feed the rest of them because it doesn't matter what, what, where you come from, if you're 14 years old right now, you love Stormzy, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter what you look like, you're listening to that music because it's, it's, it's reaching you. The same way when I was 15, uh, 14, 13, uh, 12 and 13, I saw the specials, a multicultural band, they were singing about unity. I loved it. I didn't really understand the concept, but I could see people on stage, black and white, singing, jumping around. It looked like fun and I chewed into that. You know, when I looked everywhere else, there was nothing there. And that's, that's the vibrational frequency that we were all tuning into. You cannot hold back the tide. And that's what, that's what the problem is. They're trying to say that this is what it is, or this is like, no, there are systems that work for this group and there are systems that work for this group. And these people have figured out something that is highly effective for them and their needs. And that should be embraced. So where does that leave us in terms of the biggest killer for young people being suicide and the biggest killer for men being suicide? Education. Education, opportunity, you know, and inclusion, some kind of inclusion. They're all key facets of hip hop. Hip hop educates. We have knowledge and wisdom that gets passed from MC to listener. Um, inclusion it's a democratic um, art form there's a hip-hop culture in every in every palace what, and slum across the world isn't there one of the things that's the the internet has done and social media has done is made us lazy it's slowed down the interaction that we so crave it slows down the actual 
two people standing in front of each other, exchanging ideas, picking up body language, really getting deep into another level of conversation. And you just don't get that by texting and blogging and it just doesn't happen. And so we have to figure out a way to start bringing people back into these community or communal areas where you can see what it's supposed to be like. As younger, it's supposed to look up, uh, when, you know, older and say, that's what it's supposed to be like to be a man. Or that's what it's supposed to be like to be a woman. We don't see that online. What we've seen online, augmented images of, of unreality. And so we spend all our time, well, the youngers are spending all their time trying to impersonate something that's fake in the beginning. So we're, we're, we're completely disconnected from, from reality. And then once you've disconnected, so these are really, these are really deep, spiritual esoteric concepts when you start drilling down to actually how reality operates and how people tune into an empty space right and then try and draw energy from it i.e you see a picture online before you'd see a, a, a spiritual picture that's why that's where this word star comes from right you'd see that picture and you draw energy down from it because that's what would, would raise your spirit you're looking online now for the same, we're, we're hard, human beings are hardwired the same. We, the, the hardwiring that was in 10,000 or a million years ago for humanity is still the same hardwiring now. Our brains haven't evolved that much, right? We're still scared, hunter-gatherers and afraid of stuff that we don't fully understand, right? Same thing when we were on the savannas, right? You, you look at people where we have an irrational fear. Well, you had, we had an irrational fear back then when we were walking in the bush and we heard the bushes rattle. You had two choices. If you were back then, you had two choices. You were either going to run because you didn't know what was behind that bush. Right? It could have been a deadly animal that would come out and take you out. Or you're going to run. And that's what we still do now. We're, we, we, have, we see something irrational. We don't quite understand it. Most human beings just run, fight or flight. But we run in a different way. We're flooding our systems with, with um, adrenaline, but we're not actually running from danger. And we know when you flood your system with too much adrenaline, it floods your adrenal glands, cuts off your creativity. It cuts off your ability to imagine something new, right? So now where are we? So that's what's going on. We got, we got people now who are constantly being made to feel afraid, who are constantly looking for leadership, where from? Where are you going to get leadership from? They're all empty, false idols with no value system. And they're leading most people down the wrong path. And so after too much of that, you, you, uh, you know, uh, if you're not strong, you're going to give up. You're going to just say, you know what? F it. I'm not going to be able to do that. And that's what you're seeing. Lots of people who aren't getting the nourishment. I'm not talking about food. You're not getting a spiritual nourishment into your DNA that's helping you, you know, rise up about it. See it from you, from you, see it from an, an a third eye perspective, from your instinct, from your intuition. We're being that's being cut off. And that's the threat that hip hop poses, because that is all built on that. How could you get a nation of people who've been left out in the cold, who didn't know about engineering, didn't know about uh, geography, history, English art, but all of a sudden have created something out of nothing. How have you done that? <laughs> Do you understand the deep frustration that must cause these people? Like, how have you done that? And yet they keep on doing it. And so they've intervened. So now what they do, they intervene in the culture. They've taken the culture, they put their images on it. 
to sell products now that people look at these products and think that's what hip hop culture is because they don't know what they don't think if you've never seen the roots of hip hop and you see a poster in your city with someone on there that looks like you dressed like the culture and you start following that person because that's how deep it is you're tuned into it because it's a higher aspirational idea but you tune into it and then all of a sudden you're following it and there's nothing there there's no substance to back it up. Everything you're talking about with the hip hop culture, if you follow the true path of it, you go down the path. There's a, there's a spirituality there. There's a network there. There's a community there. There's nourishment for you there. And it's, it keeps going on and on and on and on. You can't exhaust it. And so when you, when you really dive into that, you'll be fed on a whole nother level. And so that's what raises your spirit. When they say, raise your spirit, stand up straight, raise your spirits. Like, that's where you're getting it from, the community of, of high ideal people who say, yeah, when the times get rough, don't worry, bro, things are going to change. And this is how we did it. You're not getting at other races because the, the image doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do that. That's not what that image is designed to do. And so, of course, you're going to, there's a, there's a high uh, rate of people trying to take, go to the next level because they they're not getting what they want here. I'm just wondering with the, you know, imagery around hip hop and grime that a lot of younguns are being exposed to right now, being predominantly about the fast cars and highly sexualized images of women. I'm just thinking we're showing our young people and, you know, anybody else of any other age group who's interested in hip hop, the new stuff that's coming out and the successful stuff that's in the charts and that's making the big dollars um that element of personal power and hustling from the bottom is still there but it's all pitched on the old materialism isn't it yeah. so you know when i've taught in schools and kids have come in rapping grime lyrics or whatever and you know they're just talking repeating like parrots the elements that might be shocking to a teacher on purpose in order to provocate and then repeating stuff that's not age appropriate and in order to shock it feels like it's become an empty vessel that has like a talismanic power mm. but then there's some elixir that's been drained out of the bottle and the bottle's been given as like a gift from a mentor but then it's not got that super energizing and like self like the, the power in it to help us to self-narrate our experience because it's an experience that people are mickey mouse in from other people yeah. who but at one point some people did see some gang banging and some violence and you know didn't have role models to you know treat respect and manners at some point but then that element has been just so exploded out mm. how can we use hip-hop in a and grind each, every, each one teach one you know we're not going to solve this problem you know overnight it was created a, over a long period of time mm. it needs to now be nurtured and everyone you know a lot of a lot more information and education is now coming out more than ever um 
you still have to battle a media and a system that is addicted to their way of life. Right? You've, got, you've got a reference against the system because the system is what's broken or not, or not. But the system itself, that needs to be replaced. But it cannot be replaced in, by the same people. Because right? we're saying, we're saying to the people, the jailers, look, this is broke. We want you to fix it. They're like, good. We'll just give you more of the same. We'll call it something else. And that's what they know is going on. And so what everyone else now has to, to do is wake up, say, well, well, what can I do? What's my role in this society? Well, how can I serve? And what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And then let's all start doing that. Let's all start teaching. Let's all start, you know, giving something back and then create some sort of fundamental change because it, nothing's going to change unless people change first. You know, we're seeing that at the moment, the opportunities, you know, with the COVID thing, it is an opportunity for people to wake up, despite all the, the negative stuff around it. And it is a shame that there's a lot of loss of life. You know, that's, that's a shame. The, the, other, the other reality to that is there are still lots of people still living, right? How they choose to live now is their choice. And this is where we've, we're, we're constantly giving that choice up. Everyone's saying, oh, the government needs to fix it. It's like, no, they don't, that's the problem. We're waiting for someone again to fix the problem. They're not going to fix it the way we need it to be fixed. And so all these problems will see, continually trickle down because the, 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 the main problem hasn't been fixed. Once you fix the main problem, which is a different way of a different system to run our lives, once you fix that, then everything will change. You know, people talk about, you know, giving people money. Like money is a system. Money is a system that controls people. We aspire to wealth, we aspire to be rich, but what for, right? It's just a, it's just a distraction, unless you actually understand that you can use it to free other people or to liberate yourself, it's just a distraction. Young people now think that they just need to make money. It's like, well, what do you need to make money for? What are you gonna do with it? It's a tool, it's a vehicle, it's, you use it for something. And so we have all these things because we're not taught. We're not educated on like the deeper ramifications of this of the system that we're born into. It's like you we need to change the reality that we're experiencing right now. That is a much deeper ask right now because yeah. it's way easier. It's way easier just to blame the government, blame China, blame COVID. It's easy to do that. Nothing will change because now because we're all distracted, blame, blame, blame. The, the banking system will crash next and we'll blame the bankers and we'll blame people for being broke. Then we'll blame people for rioting, but we won't actually solve the real problem, which is the system that's, that creates it and keeps creating it. Mm, I think it's easy to blame, isn't it? And because it's a quick, you can make a quick draw from it. And I think, um, you know, if, you, if you're working with, let's say you're working with a group of young people and, they're just interested in the blingy element of hip hop and the Lambos and stuff and do buy into that idea of I have a lack, I don't have money, so I want mm. money. And that idea that, you know, it's an age old thing. You always want what you don't have. The grass is always greener. Yeah, and sorry, sorry, but there's a deeper aspect of it because what, what do people really want when they got money? What do people really want when they are, are a star on TV? You know, they want significance. They want to be recognized. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and so that's what's driving them. They think that if they can just make enough money, they'll get respected, they'll be significant, they'll be you know seen as X Y Z. It's like that's the problem. 
right? We don't have the, the initiation in this culture that you did in the indigenous cultures, where you where you came of age, you would be initiated into the into the into the group as a man, do you know what I mean? As a man, as a warrior, as a woman, as a warrior, you had to uh, uh, accomplish something. Right, you had the mission. You were responsible for the village. Right, you had to do work, and it was like it wasn't. Just, you were taught to to respond to the needs of the culture rather than the needs of the self. And so, why would why? That's what we're doing now. So we have this lack. We don't have a deeper purpose. We don't have a deeper meaning because we see over and over again. This is where the whole misconception comes. The root of money is the root of all evil because we keep seeing people who are rich destroy themselves. Because they're not happy, they don't and actually know who they are, they've got no sense of self, and so they think they get a sense of self from making loads of money, and they make loads of money and they're still not happy, so they, they just want to destroy themselves, and so that's where this whole misconception comes from, and they play on that, because at the top levels, they don't consume the same media, <laughs> they're not watching the news all day. Yeah, and what, what you just said about significance for money made me think about when we're in a sound clash with two sound systems playing reggae and the the best one wins, or when you're in a b-boy battle and the best dancer wins, or when you're um, in a cypher or having a, a rap battle and the best lyricist wins, you've got somebody's taking the crown and it's like an initiation, isn't it? Because then everybody's yeah. clapping and cheering you as you yeah, yeah, yeah. won. But yeah. then there's still a sense of pushing the culture forward by breaking new ground, innovating with new styles, trying different beats and trying different ways yeah. of playing with language. So it's not yeah. an individual making everybody feel like poo who haven't got to the crown. It's the whole genre of whatever you're performing in or the whole medium of whatever you're performing in is being pushed forward because somebody's made a new way to make words fit together like yeah. Eminem or, yeah. you know, like yourself with jungle music, you know, yeah. and it's celebrated to the acceptance and significance and the connection that you get. Uh, three things that were um, raised by the rappers I interviewed as part of my thesis regarding how they found hip hop healing. And mm. like the more I talk to people on this podcast and just generally through my work, the more I'm realizing it's about connection and about the ability to use your creative powers that creates mm. that buzz. And you can't replace that. You can't, you know, you can't put it into a bottle and commodify it. It's, you know, there when you go into a studio, it's there when you look at a beautiful tree and paint it, it's there when you no. write with your pen no. and, that's got so much power over us. It can stop time. It can make and break love. It can take you away from the people that you, you know, want to get married to and stuff like that, because it's got, it's like an addictive force, isn't it? The creativity. So when you think about, you know, British culture, we don't have the same relationship with hip hop. We've got a different relationship with hip hop. We have, immigrants who came over from Jamaica and bought sound system and then you've mm. got people who come from India and bring in different rhythms and beats and music from there and you know what I mean so the makeup in our country with migration has influenced how we relate to musical culture and mm -hmm. art so we've ended up with grime drum and bass jungle and they were born here they weren't born in America so I'm in the process of supporting the transition 
of like therapeutic hip hop arts to come over from the States over to the UK and to like widen its profile. And one thing that I'm really, really conscious of is that, you know, we are not American over here and hip hop has, you know, been born out of American culture. So for me, I think the kind of therapeutic techniques that people use around hip hop, you know, if we start looking at experimenting them with them when we're doing work around reggae lyrics, around grime Mm -hmm. lyrics, around drum and bass and jungle, MC and I'm wondering what kind of thing we could do for our people over here who are into that thing. And I'm really excited about it, but also I'm finding a real lack of spaces where I can explore that. So I'm trying to make those spaces here. You know, I'm looking for a place to do a PhD in a university. Now I've spoken to many experts, many people high up in their music therapy departments there, you know, narrative research departments their arts and health departments and i'm not finding that space i'm doing an interview at the moment hello oh, who's this <laughs> that's my son oh what's his name Kofi. oh so cute and yeah. I, i've just looked at the time i can't believe it's 40 and we started at like 340 it feels like i've been talking to you for five minutes so yeah maybe we could round things off and um mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you get back to your family thanks so mm-hmm. much i always ask the guests that who come on the show to talk to to me about and, and to greg and ben um hold tight greg and ben who aren't with us today um to talk about lyrics lyrics that have mattered to them so i'm gonna ask you for a couple of lyrics, couple of bars, like couple of lines, uh, eight bars from a song. Could be any kind of genre, but you know, as we're talking about hip hop, jungle, reggae. I won't be able to give you lyrics, but I can tell you the songs and the people yeah. that really influenced me. Uh, the, fir- the first one was Rakim, oh, Microphone Fiend. Yeah, me too. I love Eric um, Rakim. <laughs> uh, Rakim was the first, really, that like totally blew my mind. <clears throat> and then Chuck D, I think Chuck D was the next one that really kind of just smashed it to pieces. And then after that, um, Wu Tang Clan, like like Ghostface, Raekwon, the first album, Cuban Links, Method Man, you know. What's and now, huh? yeah, what's your go-to hip hop album right now? Artist? Yeah, now. Right. Run the Jewels. What Run the Jewels when, and Griselda. What about when you were growing up? Who's he go to? Public Enemy. Mm. Public Enemy. Um, yeah, I mean, Rakim, Public Enemy, um, Dollar Soul, Tribe Called Quest. Um, yeah, and then it's sort of moved into the new era then, didn't you? You had Jay-Z, you had Nas, you had Eminem. And then sort of last couple of years, it's been Kanye, Kid Cudi, um, and that, and Run The Jewels. Is there, is there a specific song you want to reference or? The RTJ2, I think, killed it for me. That whole album, really. 
So maybe yeah. that's something our listeners can look up. And um, yeah, I want I want to recommend based on what you've said that our listeners go and explore some of these albums. Yeah, I mean, Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet, that's the killer. You know, Raki, Microphone Fiend, that's the killer. Just, just the, the sheer, and it's not just the lyric, the whole production, it's the beats very ahead of its time. If you listen yeah. to that and listen to hip hop around it and nothing was really like it. You yeah. know, what they were doing, they just, they completely futurized it. Yeah. My big yeah. brother bought home Eric B and Rakim's Follow the Leader and literally put the cassette in the cassette deck and my jaw hit the floor and I was like, what? I heard the and I was like, this doesn't like it. This doesn't sound like anything I've heard before. What what are they doing? Like it was so powerful, so catchy, and yeah, blew my mind. And I couldn't stop listening to. I got addicted to the album, and then I got addicted to um, yeah, it over and over again at different points in my life. Whether I was like you know, a bit older, like in heavy metal and grunge mm-hmm. and jungle, mm-hmm. whatever, that album, no matter when I listen to it, however old I am, I'll keep like going back to it like it's um, mm-hmm. like it's some kind of addictive drug. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it brings yeah. new things to my life every time I listen mm-hmm. to it. It's like mm-hmm. ever replenishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's music. That is music, and I'd like to encourage people to recognise the therapeutic powers of all music, not just hip hop. And you know, we're in a really tricky time at the moment. Um, one thing I do if I'm feeling a bit glum is I stick a tune on that I love and get up and have a good old dance and shake it out. You know, if I'm mm. in a really bad mood, I have to go and stick on some sort of song and have a boogie, like um, Sugar <laughs> Mino, uh, "Stop That Train." No, Clint Eastwood stopped that train. It's a reggae song. And mm. um, there's a song by Sugar Minnow about love that I always put on. And, you know, a bit of Dennis Brown, Here I Come. I, I can't mm. stop singing them. And, you know, I'll get the hands in the air and start pretending that I am Dennis Brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's why it's been raining, I'm afraid. But um, have, you got any, have you got any tracks that you would put on as a mood lifter that you could share with the audience? Um, I do. I can't remember what they are. They, I go through different ones. I think about six years ago, I went through a phase of listening to Queen, We Are the Champions. Yeah. Oh, you can't help but feel good when you listen to that. Yeah. And I was listening to that. I'd go running to that and I'd put that on and I'd go running. And that was really kind of got me through a sticky period. Um, uh, listening to Steve, any Stevie Wonder tune, really, you know, yeah. really changes the mood, really gets you going. Um, and, and lately, I've just—it's been really a lot of, you know, work at the moment with this new record coming out and just building this new company. So I've just been waking up, going for these power walks, and listening to Run the Jewels. Yeah. And like just getting that energy up and just getting that creativity going. But you know, I really like what those guys do because it just remi- it reminds me of Jungle—the complexities of their beats and their lyric play, the way they bounce off each other. It's for me. It's I can. You know, I can. It inspires me to think differently, and you know, and I use it when I'm I have business problems. I listen to music like that, and it just helps me think differently. So, yeah, Run the Jewels is definitely something that that could help shake the cobwebs off of it. 
That's an amazing tip to think about business problems and apply your um, approach or other people's approach to mu- making music. So yeah. just to finish off, what are you actually working on at the moment and how can people find your um, stuff online? So I've just, well, I finished a new album quite some time ago. It's going to be out in two weeks time, November the 6th. It's called the, Ed- yeah, it's called the Edge of Everything. It's the first album, my first album in 14 years. So really excited about that and working with Crosstown Rebels and they've been really great to work with and um, so I've been doing that and I've also got a sort of podcast that I do myself called Adapt a Canvas every Tuesday on DJ Crust uh, Facebook page and I've been working on a small kind of building a mentorship group a sort of private mentorship group as well called Wednesday's Workout and that's really to help creators who are struggling to get to that next level. So we have we have a session on a Wednesdays where we just dive in, we just have conversations, bring people, bring where they are in their business. They might have an idea, they, they might want to start something, they might be looking to grow it. And we just flesh out the ideas, help people think differently, use all you know the ideas that we've spoken about here and all my experience through 30 years of being involved in the in the music business. And you know, it's interesting how I started off by being, you know, a fan of the music, it's really helped me grow and understand and shaped my thinking to the point now where I use it to help people directly shape their thinking and and to, to sort of help them think differently and tap into that spirit and intuition. So yeah, Wednesday's workout, that's where we do a lot of that work. So have you got openings there? Are you taking new mentees on at the moment? Yeah, we're taking in a few people on. We're trying to keep the numbers quite reasonable so you know everyone could get attention. But yeah, there's space if people want to join. Um, they can reach me at disruptivek at gmail.com and you can check me out also on Disruptive Patterns uh, Facebook page. You can just check, check that out. We put a lot of information up on there. And um, yes, it's been growing throughout the summer because of the COVID. People have been, you know, tuning into the free show Adapter Canvas that's going from strength to strength. So that's become a global thing as well. So we're getting people from all over the world tuning into that, which is really great. And that's kind of, you know, that's been a real kind of, it's kind of helped me in a way because before then I was just doing one or two things here or there. I enjoy going on there now every week and talking and seeing who's on there, calling people out from around the world and stuff, and then reading and going into the comments. And it's really having an impact. We've been doing it for nearly six months now, but you can really sense there's an impact that it's having there. People are saying how much it's influenced them and helped them. And they're, you know, I see the same people come back week after week. It's like, it's like school now. So yeah. It's also really powerful as a fan of your music to see somebody like you reaching out to help somebody like me. Um, I've joined your mentoring group. I can highly recommend it. The stuff that you talk about is really powerful and really solutions based and really mm. achievable and attainable. So we're not talking yeah. about big concepts. So we're talking breaking about, but we're making big concepts manageable and breaking them down into actionable tasks. And that's, I yeah. think, something that I've always found scary with climbing an uphill mountain and then having mm. to try and um, work out what the first step is. Then you've got your, all your own 
you know, baggage that you bring to the table about whether you're good enough with creativity and, you know, is this work and is it not? So it's a, it is really powerful being in a group and seeing an innovator like yourself who's made such a successful um, impact on the, you know, world music scene. And I really respect and admire you. Thank you for coming on our podcast at Glow With The Flow. And um, I'd like to encourage people to reach out to Crust at Disruptive Patterns to look at getting some mentoring for themselves and if you like what you hear from today at the podcast um, please check out our website which is hiphopheelsuk.org and you can find out about the kind of programs and work that we've been doing with our own stuff so yeah big up yourselves crust and big up to all our listeners and hi to ben and greg who couldn't make it today cool awesome all right big ups Thanks. bye Thank you.